What is up, y'all? Welcome back to the Mind to Muscle podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Bunker. And I'm your other host, Bailey Delory. All right, y'all. So we're double recording because, again, Maddie's a traveling woman next week. Um, So let's hear a goal that you've been working on, health and fitness or not. Like what's or like something that you're incorporating into your routine these days? Um, can I just talk about my whole morning routine? Cause I'm obsessed with it. Okay, yeah. Let's hear it. Let's hear, let's hear it. Shall okay. We? Okay. I'll give you guys details, but I won't go into too much detail because I could talk about it forever. <laughs> um, <anything> forever. <laughs> true. <laughs> Don't get me going on things I'm passionate about. Um, okay. So I wake up around five 30 or six, whatever time my body wakes me up. Um, I don't set an alarm unless I, I absolutely need to, but I just let my body wake up. And then I immediately get into the shower, take a cold shower to wake me up. And it feels good. I hate it. But literally every morning I'm like, I'm not doing it. And then I'm like, me, mad at yourself. You have to. (laughs) So I do that. And then I make my bed and then I do my little skincare, which takes me 0.5 seconds. (laughs) And then timed it. Yep. And then I go and read whatever book I'm reading. What are you reading right now? Um, I forget what it's called, but do you know who Nick Bear is? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he started like the BPN supplements and he wrote yeah. a book and it's really good. So I'm reading that right now. All right. And then I will usually make, oh, before that, I usually make like some sort of drink, usually like tea or something. Cause I just like tea oh, lately. So fancy. And then I will, after I read for about like 30 minutes, then I'll go on a little walk. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter, usually around like 15 to 30 minutes. Just get some sunlight in my eyes. And then I will come back, write my to-do list, and then start working. Work for like an hour or two, and then get ready for the gym. Okay. Wow. Look at her her go. Thriving. Yeah. Here's my thing. Here's my thing with morning routines for myself. If I, I, I turn it into like a checklist, I make it way too much. I like, and then I just end up spending so much time and then it stresses me out more. Like, I just know you is, you know how I am. I think, <laughs> I think people have kind of gathered the personality that I have. So I've made myself just focus on like rules for myself in the mm. morning, for lack of a better word, instead yeah. of like, because then I just like, you know, when you like have a routine and like, I know, I feel like people do this too. Like they feel like their morning routine has to have 10,000 things in it. And then it's yeah. like, so I just like have rules for myself right now that like no phone in the first hour I wake up because I was getting really bad at just like laying in bed for like 20 minutes. And then I was like, I'm wasted so much time. <laughs> and I so I immediately get up and I've been I've been doing cold showers too. So I like do that. And then I like get into every sometimes mornings look different. Sometimes I immediately go to the gym. Sometimes I have breakfast. Sometimes I walk the dogs first. But I like it because it it just like you're such like a routine, like type A. Person. I know. It's funny. Not, it's so more it's like, like... Yeah. But I think like this, I like this because it is like the one thing that I have in my life that stays the same. It's like the structure. And like, it's really nice to start my day with that. And it's funny because I was telling my friend about it and he was like, and then like later on, like I said, yeah, like I'm not really like a routine or type A person. And he was like, what are you talking like about? Your like, you're, I like, he's like, you just told me your morning routine. You sure sound like it. And I'm like, okay, that's like the one thing that like I have that I'm like, this is my non-negotiable. This is going to make me like be successful. And then the rest of the day is just kind of like whatever I need to do and kind of craziness. Yeah. It is kind of funny actually though. I just yeah. like the flexibility where I schedule. I don't know. I feel like I was just stressing myself out, like trying to do the most. Cause you know, so I just have yeah. dunk it on your phone. Yeah. And I love what we talked about later in this podcast with Jordan Syatt because he talked about just like how he doesn't like plan out his day hour by hour and he just writes like the one through five method which y'all will hear later and that's what I've been doing lately I mean the past two days yeah and it helps so much um because I've literally the, the amount of money I've spent on different like journals and calendars and things like that trying to be like a planner and plan out my day hour by hour and it just never works for me and so hearing him say like yeah that doesn't work for me either was like so so nice to hear yeah for sure well maddie dropped it so yeah this episode is gonna be a jordan site he is like 
the king of, I feel like sustainable, like mm. health and fitness goals and fat loss. If you don't follow him, you absolutely should. Um, and this, like, I feel like this episode, I might be biased, but it's my favorite one yet. Yeah. I just feel like it has so many takeaways. So it was such a good conversation and he's just like so genuine and he knows yeah. his stuff, but he also is like just all about balance. And it's like, it's not a big deal. Just live your life. Yeah. Relax, chill out. So let's get into it. What's up, y'all? I quickly just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you could take a second to rate and review the show, we would really, really appreciate it. That's how we're going to grow this so that we can reach as many people and help as many people as we can. Again, thanks so much for listening and let's get back to the show. If you want to, for like the few people who may not know you, do you want to give just kind of like a quick little bio of who you are? Yeah, I am a short, bald, nerdy Jewish guy. (laughs) I like to lift weights and I help people or I try to help people fit fitness into their life rather than trying to fit their life into fitness. So uh, just trying to make it as easy and as enjoyable as possible, fully understanding that some people aren't going to enjoy it at all. And also understanding some people are going to get overly obsessive with it and trying to balance the two uh, extremes. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I think Maddie and I obviously both follow your content a ton. So we were laughing about it because we had talked about starting a podcast for a while. And then we, Maddie was like, well, I'm just going to like DM him and see if he'll come on it like before we even started one. So then like you were like, sure. And so we're like, okay, we got to like get our stuff together now. So. <laughs> kind of kicked I us in it. the butt like yeah. together. <laughs> that makes me very happy to hear. I love that. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll just kind of jump into it. I think, you know, Maddie and I both grew up playing sports. Um, I played basketball in college and then like really struggled with my transition out of that. We have a lot of clients that struggle with kind of like finding that balance of like identifying yourself outside of your sport. I know you wrestled in high school and then transitioned straight from that into like powerlifting. And so I just wanted to kind of talk about your mindset of like transitioning out of being a competitive athlete and how that like impacted your journey. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was, it was interesting by the time I finished wrestling, I loved it and I still do love it, but especially at that time, I was burned out because of the weight cutting and how mm-hmm. much of an impact it took on on me mentally as a result of the awful stuff with food that I would do. So by the time I stopped wrestling, I was actually like, a, it was a huge relief. When I stopped powerlifting, that was a different story. That's when I had a real like uh, crisis in terms of number one, I, I loved powerlifting, I still do. But by the time I finished powerlifting, I, I was an elite powerlifter. I had a number of records and I had really built my entire career off of powerlifting. Everything that I did in the fitness industry up to that point was as a powerlifter. So that's how people knew me. They knew me as the guy that was like deadlifting a lot of weight and that like all of my articles, all my videos, the vast majority were about powerlifting. So a huge percentage of my clients were powerlifters. And I was, it's funny, I was like 25 when I retired from powerlifting, which is so young. Like, yeah, I remember being like, oh my God, like, am I just going to have to do this forever? I was worried that I was going to ruin my career. And at 25, like that's a joke when you think about it. But at the time you, you're sucked in and you think like, this is it. Like, this is just mm-hmm. what I'm going to have to do. And so much of my identity was around powerlifting. So much of my ego was around powerlifting, which I think ego and identity are, are somewhat synonymous. Um, but so much of who I was, was around powerlifting. And a lot of my mentors were powerlifters and they were powerlifters up until they were, they died until they were in their 60s, 70s, 80s and, and beyond. They were, they always considered themselves powerlifters. So I, I thought not only is my business going to go under and are people going to trust me anymore, but am I disappointing people who are huge mentors to me? So much of, of what I had gone through up until that point was just powerlifting. And um, fortunately, I, I was really able to listen to my gut, though, because I did my last powerlifting competition at 25. I deadlifted four times my body weight, which was my goal for like 10 years. I deadlifted 530 pounds, weighing 132, and I put the bar down. And I was—I remember I just said, I'm done. Like, that's it. Like I, And I, I then went through a lot of struggles trying to, trying to retire from it, but my body and mind knew that like I was done. I, I wasn't as passionate about it as, as I was. And, uh, I had a lot of nagging injuries and aches and pains. And fortunately I was just like, listen, I know this isn't for me. I don't want to live a miserable life anymore. Like this just, it, if I don't enjoy something anymore, I, it's time for me to stop. Yeah. And so I, that's sort of the, 
the the path that I followed. And I transitioned much more into just fitness for everybody and, and just trying to do it for the everyday general population person. And I think it was really difficult, especially the, for the first six months. But I think what really helped the most was I actually, for the first time, hired my own coach to do my training. And for, as a powerlifter, you know, I still think I'm one of the best powerlifting coaches in the world with powerlifting programming. So I wasn't going to hire another coach to do that. I was like, I know it better than the vast majority. Why would I hire someone else to do my powerlifting? But when I stopped powerlifting and then I actually wanted to get back into mixed martial arts and jujitsu and all of that, I was like, I'm going to hire another coach. And that I think one is, was one of the best ways for me to transition into it because it took all of the thinking out of it. It didn't give me the opportunity to cheat and to go back into those old ways. It was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm hiring this coach. His name is Mike Perry, still a really good friend of mine. Um, and I think that was a, a very, uh, a, a path that I took that had as the little, the least amount of resistance possible to help me move on from powerlifting. Yeah. And I love that you bring up the identity shift because that's something that we work with a lot of our clients. We work with a lot of ex-athletes. And so it's like, that is their entire identity. And Bailey and I talk about this all the time. We both played basketball and it was like, that was everything. Even just in high school, it was like, this is our entire mm -hmm. life. Like nothing matters except for this. And then when it stops one day, it's like, you don't know who you are. You don't know how to work out or eat or anything just for lifestyle. And that's such a hard transition. And so I love that you bring up like, you were able to just transition, but you still had a coach. And we mm -hmm. talk about that too. Bailey and I both have a coach as yeah. well. And we coach girls too. And I think that's such an important thing. Like it's an ego thing because I thought for the longest time, I don't need a coach. I'm an athlete. Like I don't need someone to coach me. I coach other girls, but it's okay to have a coach. Other reasons, like you can still learn more. You like, you never know everything. And so like putting aside your ego and knowing that it's okay to hire someone to help you. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's uh even at this point, I, I probably about like five or six years ago, I made a rule with myself. I'm going to hire a new coach every year because I always learn every time I hire a new coach. Yeah. And I, I always do, do a minimum of one year because I think it's easy to become a program hopper. Even if you know better, it's easy to be like, I'll do this program for a little bit and this program for a little bit. I was like, I'm going to work with one coach for at least a year every year. I've made incredible connections with a handful of coaches. I've learned an unbelievable amount and I've made tremendous progress outside just because I'm committing for at least one year to their training methods. And so that's been a huge help for me. And I was actually, I literally just got back late last night. I was in the UK speaking at a conference there and um, there was a young athlete in the audience who asked a question very similar to this, uh, how how to basically this, she was asking about how to... Um, she was a bodybuilder and she was trying to figure out how to have balance, right? She was in the world of bodybuilding, a competitive bodybuilder, but also trying to have balance. And it's almost like it's two different things. And the reality yeah. is yeah. Prof professional athletes, they don't have balance, like period, end of story. Like you, yeah. it, a baseball player playing 160 plus games a year, like you don't have balance with that. Mixed martial arts fighters, like there's no off season. You're on all the time. Anytime there's a fight, if one fighter gets injured, you're called up. You, you don't want to pass up on that opportunity. So you're training all the time. I, I don't know how many games in a basketball season, but whether you're training in the season and playing the games or you're, you're training off season and doing strength and conditioning and nutrition, like yeah. there's no balance with yeah. that. So then you go from this competitor mindset without balance to like, Oh shit, everything that you've done, you've wrapped up in, in that being your entire life. And what I said to this, this young woman was uh, to the effect of, listen, if you want to be competitive, that's fine, but understand like there won't be balance. And if you don't want to be competitive, then you have to understand if the most interesting thing about you is the sport that you're doing, there's something wrong, right? Like that's, yeah. that shouldn't be the sum and substance of who you are. There's so much more to who you are and what you can potentially grow into. Like at your funeral, you don't just want people being like, oh, you're a great basketball player. That's that's not all there is to you, right? So it's mm -hmm. like there, there's so much more to it and learning that and being okay with that and learning to try new things and explore different, different aspects of yourself and your own character development is incredibly important. Yeah, I like that you brought up the balance of it just because I think we see that with so many people when they transition out of sports and I did it too, is like, you just like overtrain yourself like crazy because you're so used to that being your lifestyle. And so I like, like I thought I had to run every day and I was like, I can't do this unless I go run five miles and you just are like running your body into the ground. And so realizing, like you said, the sustainability of it, like 99% of people, unless you go professional, you're not going to train like that your whole life. And like, that's okay. And it really isn't the most important thing in the world to be working out 24 seven and being an elite athlete. 
Yeah, exactly. Like for at the expense of what, right? The expense yeah. of friendship, your life, and, close family, yeah. like being able to have a slice of pie, like at whatever, you know, like what, what are you missing out on in order to gain this marginal benefit and what, like, I think it's it in, unless you're a professional athlete, it's taking away from your life. And even then maybe it's taking away from your life. Yeah. Totally. And I love how much you talk about like balance and you are okay with being maybe 10 pounds heavier because you get to enjoy pizza more often and you're not as lean, but that's okay. Um, and I want to kind of go back a little bit to when you were in wrestling and how that kind of impacted your relationship with food. Cause I know you talk about how you did like intermittent fasting after that, because of like the weight cuts and things like that, and how that kind of like led to you having issues with food. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. Um, so I started wrestling when I was eight and, and, you know, I, I'm short Jewish guy. My mom got my brother and I into wrestling because she thought we were going to be picked on in school. So I remember she walked in the living room and <laughs> she said, she was like, I'm going to put you two into wrestling. And <laughs> that's smart though. It's super smart. And, and I'll tell you a story about it. And, and, uh, I didn't know what wrestling was when I was in, when I was eight years old. And so I looked at her, I was like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? Because the only thing that I knew is WWE style wrestling. <laughs> and she was like, that no, so funny. idiot. Like that's not, no, like Olympic style wrestling, which I didn't know what that was, but I was like, okay, she put us into it and I became obsessed. Like I loved it. And, um, in terms of not getting picked on, I remember one time in like fifth, it was fifth or sixth grade. This kid tried to start a fight with me on the playground and I, I just, picked him up slammed him on the fucking ground and from <laughs> that point on until until the end of high school n- like that was the story nobody was like they all knew one. nope no one <laughs> and like it was crazy it was, it's like you know, the whole phrase of like uh if you want to stop a bully sometimes you just got to punch him in the nose like if you don't stand up to the bully then like they're going to keep bullying you and like i thank my mom like because if she didn't put me in wrestling who knows what would have happened what my, the rest of my elementary yeah. school, middle school, high school experience could have looked like, right? So um, by the time I remember in uh, elementary school and middle school as a wrestler going to tournaments, my mom would drive me to the tournaments. And and uh, I remember my brother got into high school, he started wrestling, and then he would start coming home with stories about what the kids were doing to cut weight, doing things like sucking weight, which um, that's just when you practice, you go to practice, you don't drink any water because if you drink water, you're going to add weight. Uh, and like, let's say you have a, a weigh in the next morning. This isn't like you just don't drink water for a whole season. It's just mm-hmm. in the, and about like 24 hours before a weigh in, you start dehydrating yourself significantly. It's like, and people don't really understand why, but every, you have an empty bucket and then right. you feel that, like you go to the beach, you fill that bucket up with water. All of a sudden it's a heavy fucking bucket. Yeah. So dehydrating yourself actually can help you lose a lot of weight. It's not healthy and it's not fat, but that's what you do if you want to lose weight very quickly. And you could lose 10, 15 pounds in a day easily. No problem. Well, I think that's a big misconception too. Is like, it's not body fat. Like it's just, right. it's yeah. not going to change the way that you look. Right. It's exactly right. It doesn't change anything. It actually, it decreases your performance. It decreases your health. Um, and it's just a quick way to lose a lot of weight. But as soon as you drink water, you gain the weight back immediately. Um, and actually often you would often look softer as a result of it. Like you'd look like more pudgy oftentimes. Uh, it was really interesting. Like you'd look worse. Um, but I remember driving to a tournament and my mom hearing about what my brother was saying, what these kids were doing. And she could tell that I was very interesting and knew that I was going to want to do it forever. And I remember she, she made me promise. She was like, promise me, you're not going to do this stuff when you get to high school. And you know, like I didn't comprehend it. I had no idea what was going on. I just remember knowing that the night before we had a lot of Chinese food and, uh, and when I was young, like my mom would never have let me cut weight. So I would just go in and I would weigh, I would, I would wrestle whatever I weighed at. Mm -hmm that day. I would never like try and be a certain weight. I was like, cool, whatever I weigh, I'm going to wrestle at today. And and I remember being like, mom, I would never give up Chinese food in order to like to wrestle at a lower weight when I was like eight years, when I was, I don't know, I was probably 10 years old at the time. And then I got to high school. I made varsity as a freshman. I beat a junior out for the varsity spot. And I had to cut a lot of weight. I was cutting from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week. And I was a small kid, but losing like nine pounds. And it's not like you just lose it once. I was losing it every week, sometimes multiple times a week. And what would happen is I would, I would lose, I would lose a lot of weight for a weigh-in. And then I would weigh in as immediately after the weigh-in, I would binge, I would binge, I would eat 
and I would gain all the weight back within an hour, like no problem easily. And then I would keep binging the rest of that day after the competition. And then I would start essentially restricting myself for the next competition, which would be within 72 hours. So it's this like repeating cycle of starving and binging and starving and binging and starving and binging for depending on how, how good your season is. If you, if you do really well, it could be a a five to six month season. So you do that five or six months. And then once the season's over, it's like, you're supposed to stop doing that all of a sudden. No, that's not how it works. Like you keep doing it year round until high school ended. And so it was funny because when you're wrestling and as you know, like you're surrounded by your team all the time. Like you mm-hmm. have lunch with your team and you practice with your team and you hang out with your team. It's like, they're your friend, your closest friends. And so the whole team was doing it. And we would, when we would hang out before a competition, no one would be eating and no one would be having water. We just like knew like no one's eating except the heavyweight, the heavyweight could eat whatever the fuck they wanted, but everyone else, no one was doing it. <laughs> and then after the competition, we'd all go to all you can eat buffets and we would all binge together. And so when other people would weigh in, no pun intended, and they'd give their opinion, they would, we'd be like, you just don't get it. Like you don't understand. This is what you do in order to compete at a high level, whether it was teachers or, or other friends or whoever it was. It wasn't until I went to college and then was no longer wrestling and was not surrounded by wrestling peers that I was like, oh shit, like this is a problem because I, I, I would go to the dining hall and I would like want to binge, but I didn't want to do it in front of people who like didn't mm-hmm. understand it. So I would just take all the food. I would bring Tupperware to the dining hall, take a, a ton of food and bring it back and binge by myself in my dorm room. And like, that's what I was doing my whole first semester of college. I was like, this is a problem. I need to fix this. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out to eat with friends. I, I would always do it in private. Cause it was just something that I, I didn't want to be doing in public, mm-hmm. which brings up the other topic around like, a lot of people think that men don't struggle with food. It's like, yeah. no, we're oftentimes just really good at hiding it and not yeah. talking about it. So, um, and I, I, you know, I've worked with people now for, I've been a coach almost 20 years, about like 17 years now and worked with a lot of men, a lot of women, the majority of my clients are women, but I can tell you it's a pretty even split in terms of how often men and women struggle with food. That's so interesting that, cause I mean, I would even think the same, like men don't struggle with it or men don't struggle with it as much, but it's such an interesting thing to think about. Like they do. And I, I also going back to like, when you were in high school, it was okay. It was normal. So you didn't have to hide it and you didn't think it was wrong. But then once you got into like the real world, you realize like that it was not okay. It wasn't normal. Um, but what do you think was like a big turning point for you? Like how you transition to like heal your relationship with food? So I know the moment, um, I was consistently binge eating and, and basically intermittent fasting was a huge, um, it was intermittent. I'll start by saying this intermittent fasting isn't bad and many people can use it in a very healthy, very safe way. And it's not inherently nothing bad with it. It's like many people do it and it's fantastic for them. Mm -hmm. I had fallen under the impression that intermittent fasting was the only way to lose fat and to stay lean. That's what I had been told. That's what I had been taught. And so I was intermittent fasting. And the more intermittent fasted, essentially my mind worked like, okay, well, if fasting for 16 hours is good, then fasting for 20 hours must be better. And so it was like, you don't eat for long periods of time. And then you have a short eating window where you can eat as much as you want, which essentially is binge eating, right? Where it's like you restrict and binge, restrict and binge. And so I was told that you shouldn't eat breakfast and that it's just like eating breakfast is going to make you fat and you shouldn't, and you should just intermittent fast and only eat at night. And I was having uncontrollable binges. Like you wouldn't believe it. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of calories every night, uncontrollably. Like I I liken it to some type of an addict where it's just like, you know, you don't want to be doing it, but you just keep putting the food in your mouth, your mouth. And then the next day you starve yourself to make up for it. You over-exercise to make up for it. And the whole time you're starving yourself thinking, I'm not going to binge tonight. I'm not going to binge tonight. But then the night comes around and you end up doing it over and over and over again. What happened was I came back from college and I was staying at my mom's apartment in Chelsea, Massachusetts, and my friends were all going out to breakfast and they invited me out to breakfast. And I hadn't seen my friends in months, my friends from high school, because we were all in college. And so, you know, you should go and see your friends that you haven't seen in months when you're back from college. But I lied and said I couldn't because they were going out to breakfast and I didn't want to eat breakfast. I didn't want to sit there and not eat breakfast. And I remember thinking like, this is a fucking problem that I'm not going to go see my friends because it's a breakfast meeting and like, I'm like not Mm -hmm. supposed to eat breakfast. And then I remember 
in my head being like, well, this doesn't make sense because for years, breakfast was touted as the most important meal of the day. And many healthy people ate breakfast all the time and were very healthy weight. So it doesn't make sense. So that night I ended up having a huge binge and like being like super upset with myself. And I went in my bathroom and I was crying and I looked myself in the mirror and I was like, that's the last time I'm ever going to binge ever again. And I had said that a lot before, but like that time was different. And what I, the, what I, I came up with a plan, I said, tomorrow I'm going to eat breakfast on my own. Like I'm going to eat breakfast, even though I just had a huge binge and probably had between four to 6,000 calories just in that like one little binge and that one nighttime binge. I was like, I'm going to have breakfast tomorrow. Cause that was the thing that scared me the most. So I had breakfast. I remember it's on my personal Facebook page and I haven't used that in years but this is before Instagram existed, before any of that stuff. So I, I remember I posted a picture of this breakfast on my Facebook page. And I was just like, first breakfast in, I don't know, like four or five years. That's all I said. I didn't tell anyone that I was struggling with it. Yeah, I didn't say crazy. Like, no one knew like that it was a difficult thing for me to do. I just wrote, this is my first breakfast. It's still up there. Um, and since that day, I haven't binged again. I had breakfast and that was the one thing like that got me back on track. Because what I realized was I thought I was I was doing the right thing by restricted myself because of my binges at night, but the restriction was actually the catalyst that was causing the binging. So when I stopped restricting during the day, then I stopped binging at night. So by having breakfast, doing the thing that scared me by the time the night came around, I was like, I, I don't have the urge to binge anymore, which yeah. was like a huge stress relief. Yeah. I think you said that with a lot of people, obviously not always to that degree, but it's the concept of, I think a lot of people immediately when they start wanting to lose body fat or lose weight, like your immediate go-to thing is to restrict yourself. And mm -hmm. then it just causes this like cycle of never being able to find balance. And like you said, of like, this should be part of your lifestyle for 99% of the population. Like you should be enjoying yourself. And if you can't go out and have fun with friends or go to breakfast, like whatever you're doing, it's, it's the wrong plan. It's not working. So it's going to be different for everybody, whether it's intermittent fasting or tracking or focusing on habits or whatever it is, but whatever you're doing, like you should still be able to enjoy your life. And like, I struggle with that too. Like after sports, I was like, well, everybody says they gain weight after sports. So I'm just going to like cut my calories to like 1200 calories. And then it's like you said, it's unsustainable. And every weekend I was like, eating a shit ton of food because I starved myself all week. And you just literally, you get caught in this cycle of never having any balance in your life. Yeah, it's exactly right. And and again, I think the key here, the issue that I had is I thought that intermittent fasting was superior. Mm -hmm. like, I was told that if I don't do this, that's when I'm going to get fat. And that's where a lot of the fear stemmed from. I have a lot of clients who practice intermittent fasting and it's totally fine, but they know it's just a tool. Yeah. It's a based on their schedule and their preferences. If at some point it doesn't work for their schedule of preference anymore, then we switch it and it's not a problem. It was that fear that led me to believe that this was going to be a big problem. Yeah. That's something we talk about with our clients all the time is the intention behind it, because we have girls come to us and they're like, I cannot track my macros because I have bad relationship with food. And we're like, okay, that's fine. Let's try it and let's talk about it. Uh, from a perspective of we want you to eat enough food. We want you to fuel your body properly. And then they realize like, oh, it's going to allow me to fit foods into my diet that I love. I can go eat McDonald's if I really, really want it and still lose weight and still feel good. And so like knowing that it's the intention behind it, there's no magic tool. It's just whatever is going to work best for you. Yes. And I love that, especially talking about the intent behind it, because listen, not everyone needs to count or track their calories and macros. I get it. You do not mm -hmm. have to. There are many ways to do that. You don't. But a lot of people will say, oh, no, no I, I cannot weigh and measure my food. And I'm like, okay, well, let's say I was going to ask you to bake a pie. Like, would you weigh and measure the ingredients to make sure that you're getting the right amount so that you know, okay, I'm getting this much flour, this, this, this. like in order to actually like you, you're figuring out how many eggs you're going to use, how many egg whites you're going to use. Like you probably weigh and measure it to make sure you're going to get the right recipe. And they're like, yeah, that's right. It's like, it's, so it's not weighing and measuring. It's the intent behind the weighing and measuring <laughs> that's causing you to have that negative uh, issue, that negative emotion with it. Yeah, for sure. I think we just, we live in a very black and white, all or nothing society. Most of the time things are like falling in the middle. And so it's just finding that balance and not making everything like so extreme and looking at it, like you guys said, as a tool to get to your goals. It's not that we expect anybody to track forever when they track, but I think people get really caught up in the idea, especially nowadays of like just listening to your body and eating intuitively. But if you've restricted yourself your whole life, like you're not going to have proper hunger cues. If you don't know what like a serving of food or fruits or vegetables or protein looks like, it's really hard to eat intuitively when you've never visually like seen what that actually looks like. 100%. Um, so how do you balance like 
having goals in your life and like having physique goals and fitness goals, but also like not, you know, loving where you're at and not like doing it in a negative way? It's a good question. I think, um, listen, it's, it's very difficult. I think that a lot of people just take this stuff way too seriously. Yes. I, I really think that's what it, but like, people need to fucking relax. <laughs> that's really what it, like, it's you know, so wrapped up in like, oh my God, I, I, I want to hit a deadlift personal record, but I, I didn't get my deadlift personal record. It's like, okay, yeah. who gives a shit? Like, mm-hmm. like what's going to happen? Like, what, does anyone think less of you? Are you a worse person as a result of it? Like, do you enjoy, it's so funny. I think when a lot of people start strength training, they, they fall in love with it and it's so easy to fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's so easy is because you see results so quickly. Like every time you go in the gym, you're getting stronger and stronger. Like, oh my God, like I had no idea that I was capable of this. And it's addicting because you're seeing like, I'm actually a strong individual. I'm much stronger than I thought I was. And I can continue to get really strong and they love it and they get obsessed with it. And it's all they talk about. It's all they think about. But then a point comes where they start taking it too seriously. And mm-hmm. they start again, like that's their identity now. Their identity is a weightlifter and they're strong and they should be getting stronger. And well, if they gained uh, 20 pounds on their deadlift in the first two months of, of strength training, then they should be able to do that the the next two months and the next two months. they It's like, well, it's not how it works. It's going to get harder and harder and harder the longer you do it. And I always talk to clients, just people in general, I'm like, okay, you didn't hit the, the deadlift person record. Did you enjoy your time at the gym? Like, did you have fun? And they're like, no, because I didn't get my records. Like, but remember when you used to just go to the gym and you just have fun? Like, it would just be a mm-hmm. fun time for you. That was like the place that you would go to clear your mind, reduce stress in your life. That was the one place you could go. Now you're turning the one place in your life that you could go and have fun into another stressor that you're putting too much pressure on yourself. Like, for what? Why? It's you need to take a deep breath and realize this is for fun. This is to make your life more enjoyable. Like if you're creating more stress as a result of going to the gym, you're missing the whole point of it. Like like what, like why are you being so fucking hard on yourself for something no one will ever care about? And I always, I use, I've used this example before in the conversation already, but I use it a lot. No one at your funeral is going to talk about your deadlift PR. No one at your funeral is going to be like, wow, like you, she had so many good chin ups. Like no (laughs) one will say that ever. So it's like, it's fine to have goals. Absolutely have goals. Absolutely have goals and strive to achieve them. But you also have to understand the vast majority of your goals, you're probably not going to hit. And that's okay. It doesn't mean don't try. It just means I'm going to set my goals. I'm going to do my best to achieve them. But if I don't achieve them, it's not going to destroy me or set me back. It's like, cool. I'm just going to keep trying. Yeah, I think it goes back to the athlete mentality of wrapping your entire identity around it. And that's something I struggled with too, is like, once I left sports, what I focused on was the gym and weightlifting. And that was like my everything. And that was like my whole entire personality trait. And then I love what you mentioned, like it brought more stress into my life. Like at first I was my stress reliever. And then like I had um, shoulder surgery a year ago and I couldn't work out. And so then every time I went to the gym, I couldn't do anything because I had a sling on my arm and I wasn't supposed to be there, but I was like, I have to go to the gym and it brought me more stress into my life. And so I think like, it's okay to work hard and go to the gym and have goals, like you said, but if it's your entire identity, like you're doing something wrong because that's, it's impacting your life negatively rather than positively. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, I think especially for people who are previous athletes, high school, college, all of that, I get it, especially from the perspective of you either make the team or you don't, right? It's like so much of it is like, are you on the team? Or are you not on the team? Are you starting or are you not starting? Mm-hmm. And so much of these goals are like, you either do it or or you failed. And once you're not being a competitive athlete anymore, you have to realize like, it's not that serious. It's like, Mm -hmm. you've automatically made the team now, like whether you miss the deadlift (laughs) or you don't, whether you get the chin up, you're still on the team. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're you're automatic player, your default player, you play both sides, no matter what. So it's like, chill, relax. Like you don't have to be competing all the time. Yeah. I love that you say that. It's just not that serious. Let me see that with like people on food, like the same thing of like, 
oh my gosh, I didn't hit my macros today. Or, oh my gosh, I had ice cream. Like, it's not that serious. Like, relax. And I think I've heard you say this on a podcast before, like a bowl of ice cream or whatever it is, didn't make you fat. Just like eating one salad didn't make you skinny. Like, chill out. It's really not going to change anything. It's about like consistency in the big picture. And so just like, take a breather. Like, it's going to be fine. It's funny. When I was doing one-on-one coaching early on, because after a while, people saw my content and they knew that I would that they, there was no reason for them to write an email like this. But early on, clients would be like, oh, fuck, like I had a bowl of ice cream today and I went over my calories. And my response was, did you enjoy the ice cream? Yeah, that's what and, I was- and they would be like, well, I mean, like, yeah, it tasted good, but like I was nervous the whole time. And I'd be like, well, that doesn't sound worth it. Like next time, how about you just enjoy it? Mm-hmm. And, and you go over your calories and then you get back on track the next day. And it's fine. And it's mm-hmm. like- the, I care more about if you enjoyed the ice cream than if you had it, because like that says far more about your experience and then what you're going to do the next. Because if you feel guilty about it, yeah, you're missing out on the actual enjoyment of what you're eating. You're not enjoying those who you're eating it with. You're like you have this experience of FOMO, even though you're actually there <laughs> in the moment, but you're actually missing out even though you're there. And so it's just like like of course you're going to end up binging and you're going to have trouble staying on track mm-hmm. because you're not even enjoying it. You're not even really there. You're just feeling guilty the whole time thinking about what you're going to do to make up for it. And I think people give food way too much power. Like it's just, it's food and yeah, like it should be enjoyed. And if you enjoy it, great, but like you can't let it like hold, have this hold over you and people for days and weeks after they have something will regret it. And then it's just a wasted opportunity to enjoy the food with your friends and your family. Like enjoy the experience more than just focusing so much on the food. Like they give it just so much power. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the more you tell yourself you're not allowed to have a certain food, yeah, the more power yeah. you give it. And it's like, so it's so funny when you work with a, a lot of bodybuilders or physique competitors, which I don't because I can't stand working with that population. Uh, and it's not because they're bad people. It's because that population notoriously has the worst relationship with food mm-hmm. of any other population. Uh, and there's a lot of emerging research around it, how they have like the the highest incident of not only um, disordered eating habits, but also body dysmorphia, which is pretty crazy because that's what people think of when they think of like what yeah. a, a ripped shredded person looks like. But those ripped shredded people have the worst body dysmorphia of anybody, yeah. uh, which is pretty insane. And a lot of times be, during prep, as they're prepping for a competition, they're leaning out. They, they're like, I can't have these foods. I can't have these foods. Once prep is over and as soon as like they can have it, they're like, ah, I don't yeah. even really want it anymore. But they obsess over it the entire time. But as soon as it's allowed, you don't really care anymore. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see that with clients a lot. Like I've had clients message me like, oh my gosh, I really want a cookie. Like what's something that I can eat instead? I'm like, just eat the cookie. Like <laughs> you literally will eat 17 things that are healthier or lower calorie and then end up eating it anyways. So just eat it and enjoy it. Yeah, you'll end up eating more calories than if you just had the fucking cookie to begin with. (laughs) It's like, people get mad when I say this, but I think rice cakes are so fucking stupid. Like no (laughs) one likes rice cakes. I I don't care what you say. If you say you like rice cakes, you're lying. They (laughs) taste like TV static. They're a huge fucking mess. It's like, just eat regular whatever uh, fucking bread. Like people eat rice cakes because they want to have a lower calorie carbohydrate option. It's like, you end up eating way more anyway, and you don't even enjoy it as much if you just had a regular bagel. Right. It's yeah, that's yeah. just it, it's just not it, it the there's nothing wrong with low calorie options, but too many people have so many low calorie options that they mm-hmm. don't even enjoy like what they should be eating and they end up eating more calories as a result of it and they don't feel satiated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was like me to a T when I finished basketball. Like any low cal, low fat, whatever it was, like that's what I was going for. And I literally it sucked. And then your oh. digestion is shit. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's so people, I get people being like, oh, I can't have an avocado because mm-hmm. it's so many calories. I'm like, if you aren't allowing yourself to have an avocado because it has a lot of calories, your shit is broken. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not good. It's, and, and like you said, that will screw up your, your digestion because you end up having so many sugar alcohols, so many things to try and keep your calories low that end up screwing you over, screwing your digestion up, screwing up your bowel movements. Like, it is, it's a big fucking problem. Totally. Yeah. When I first started my fitness journey, it was, everything was low sugar, low fat, zero sugar. And I was pooping like two or three times a week because, and I was like, I'm eating so healthy. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Healthy. 
Um, okay, so sh- kind of shifting gears here. I have a question just selfishly. I was curious. I was listening to a podcast from you. I can't remember who it was with, but you talked about um, you're just not like you're not a stressful stressor person. And like if you have something like that you have due or that you need to get done, like you could still take a nap or whatever. You don't stress. You don't plan. You don't really like plan your days out. And like, I'm the same way. I feel like I'm not a planner. I'm not like a type A type of person. And so I'm just curious, like how you, how you're productive and like get what you need to get done without like stressing and planning about it. I don't know if that question makes sense. Makes total sense. Like how, how are you productive without having a real plan? Right. Like how do you, so, and how more specifically, how are you productive without having a plan and stressing about the plan? Right. I think a lot of it, to be very honest, I think a lot of it's genetic. I really do. I think you are who you are and there are things you can change and work to improve. But for example, like my brother and I are completely different people. And like he, like he responds to things very differently than I do. Same parents, same household, just a little bit different, right? It's the nature versus nurture argument. Makes a little bit of both. But um, my mom is a huge stressor. She stresses about every everything for no yeah. reason. Like, why the fuck are you stressed? Like, wh- it's not going to get it done faster. It's not going to change the outcome. And she's like, I know that logically, but I just really stress about it. And I'm like, okay, I think that just knowing that is a little bit makes it less stressful, knowing that that's who you are. Because if you're trying to change who you are, like if I tried to follow a plan that someone else made, I get stressed because like that just doesn't go with me. So I I used to, I think, try and because I would look at different productivity hacks and and I would try and plan my day like other people said they did. And number one, I don't even know if they actually did their days like that. That's just what they fucking said they did. And I've met enough people in the in the influencer world to know that a lot of them fucking lie straight <laughs> through their teeth. I'll tell yeah. you a story. I'll tell you something that happened today about that if you want to. Um, yeah. But uh, for me, what I have a method that has worked very well for me. It's called I call it the one three five method. Um, this thing has it just helps me a lot. So I have the, the number one is just the do or die priority. It's what I have to do every day, no matter what. By the end of the day, this must be done. This one thing. Sometime, and that can change day to day. Maybe my do or die priority is posting on Instagram. Maybe my do or die priority is answering my emails. Maybe my do or die priority is spending three hours with my wife and daughter. Whatever it is, like I, my do or die priority is the one thing that must be done that day. It's the only thing that is required to be done. The next, then the three, these are like, I call these like my daily medication. These are things that I should be doing on a somewhat day-to-day basis. It would be nice if I get them accomplished, but it's not the biggest deal if I don't. But I would once the do or die is done, these are the next things that I'll work on. Uh, it could be an Instagram post, could be emails, it could be programs, could whatever, so many different things. Um, then the next, the five, these are, I call these like nap time activities. These are things that I can do instead of procrastinating. Mm-hmm. These are, are relatively easy things that I could do without much thinking that that don't require that much brain energy. Uh, and again, it could be any number of things. It could be emails, could be getting my steps in, whatever it is. There's like, these are just five things and I don't have to do all of these in a given day. It's just, these are, give me some structure. And rather than saying I have to do this at this time or this has to be done, like putting a time frame for me, that's the easiest way to guarantee I won't do it. And I'll get super stressed about it. <laughs> As long as I just say it has to be done at some point today, mm-hmm. cool. That's awesome. It's much easier for me. So that that's how I structure it. Um, it just doesn't make sense for me to have these time frames. Yeah, I love that. And that like hearing someone who's a very successful person, you know, in the same space industry I am, like helps so much because like as a business owner, I feel like, oh my gosh, like I have to plan out every minute of my day. I have to plan out my hourly and I have to do all these things because everyone else does it. And that stresses me out more. And like, I just don't get as much done. Whereas if I'm like, okay, I have these few things that I need to get done. And if they, if I get those done, then great. I can move on and like find other things to do. But like, I don't know, that just like helps my perspective so much yeah. hearing like someone in the industry is is like me too. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm not going to say this is just the same way for everybody. But what I've noticed is if you're the person who is making your own schedule and you're the person who's doing everything, generally speaking, I've found time ranges aren't as helpful. Whereas let's say you have a big business, like you're a huge entrepreneur, you've got a ton of um, a ton of employees and you have an assistant, right? And your assistant is making your whole schedule for you. 
and all you have to do is just show up, then it makes sense to have this schedule hour by hour, minute by minute, because the assistant does it. And all you have to do, because you have so many things going on, you're putting out fires here and there, you're working with so many different things. Cool. Then you can just follow the schedule. Or if you're someone else's employee and like, this is the company schedule, this is what we're doing. You have meetings here. Da, da, da. Cool. That makes sense. But especially as a solo solopreneur, where like you're the one doing everything and you're making the schedule, like different things can happen all the time. And so I think you really need to be able to roll with the punches and just like, listen, here's what you've got to get done. Just fucking do it. And I think generally that helps a lot of people. Totally. Yeah. I love, I love that because I've been trying in the last like two weeks, like I joined a new mentorship and they're like, plan out your entire day. And so I went on my Google calendar and I'm like planning it out. And I'm like, this stresses me out more than like, I'm getting less done. I'm like, I just need to do like have my to-do list. So yeah. I love the one, three, five method. I've also found, <laughs> I know a lot of people who make daily schedules. I don't know many people who follow their daily schedules at all. And I've found a lot of people, they just like making the schedule. Like it feels cathartic to make a schedule, but when it comes to following the schedule, very few people ever actually, okay, I made, I'm making content from two to 3 PM. Yeah. yeah good fucking luck. <laughs> like I've made content since July of 2011. And if I tried to put like a time range on my making content time, then I would be so worried about how much time I have left that I couldn't actually be creative mm -hmm. and make good content. It's like you don't put time frames on creativity. You don't yes. do that. Like if they had, it, you go to any author who's written a lot of books or written some amazing books, they don't have like, this is, I have to be creative in this time frame. It's like a lot of times they're just going to wait until they feel creative and then they'll do it, which is the opposite of a lot, a lot of people in the fitness industry say, and like, I get it. If you want to go work out, sometimes you need to have that in your schedule. This is my time to go work out. But if it's something more creative, something more where like, it's not just black and white, like just go do it. You have to have more leeway with yourself. And like, for example, we have a time frame for this podcast. It was starting at 4 PM my time. Like I had to be here, right? Cool. That's awesome. But in terms of, I still haven't made an Instagram post today and I'm, I'm going to probably, but like, I'm probably going to make an Instagram. <laughs> post. So with that in mind, like, I'm going to do it, but like, I don't know if it's going to take 45 minutes or two hours. And I guess we'll fucking figure it out based on what I want to do. Yeah. And I mean, there's times where I'm like, I could batch out 30,000 reels right now because I'm feeling so creative. So let me yeah. do that while I'm creative rather than, oh, I'm yeah. supposed to be doing this other thing and like being flexible and you have that flexibility. So like, why not use it? Exactly. A hundred percent. All right. We're going to ask you one more question. I like this one too, just because we talked about like people aren't going to care about that shit at your funeral. So what is one thing you would want people to remember you by? Oh man. Um, I generally think that there are a couple of things. Number one is I would very much like people to know that like at my funeral, if they would know that if they ever need anything that like they could call me and I'd be there like, no problem. They've all like at, at worst comes to worst. They can always call me and I'll talk. I'm happy to talk no matter what, without judgment, without like looking down, like just, I'm happy. I'll be that person no matter what. Like you can always call me. I'm always here to talk to you. I think that I, I think, I think loneliness is a disease. I think a lot of people really struggle with it. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's especially we're in a huge mental health crisis Like we've got it. And everyone loves to talk about on social media, mental health, mental health. But it's like, you guys, you just like to say it because you think it's giving you likes, like you're not actually doing well, anything about it. And like people are hashtag mental health. What the fuck are you doing about it? Like, yeah, I think, um, I think most people, they just, they need someone to talk to. They just, they need someone to talk to. And, mm -hmm. and there are obviously so many other aspects of mental health, but I think a lot of people just feel really alone and they feel like no one else is going through what they're going through and they, no one understands it and no one wants to understand it. No one cares about them. So as long as like everyone who shows up to my funeral knows that like, I really cared about them. I think that that'd be the best. I love that. It just obviously echoes, I think a lot about who you are and everything that you say, like obviously personally, but with your fitness stuff too, just like nobody gives a shit about all the other stuff. So stop tying so much of your worth up into it. Hmm. Totally. Awesome. Well, this was super valuable and really, really good. Thank yeah. you so much. For Thank you on. so much for all your time. Do you two have a little bit more time? Cause I, I want to tell you that story about. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I want to hear it. <laughs> and there's another thing that I want to bring up as well. Um, so this happened today. 
I'm not going to say any names. I don't like to call people out. But there's a guy who I uh, there's a guy who I didn't follow, but one of my buddies followed on social media. Huge audience, millions and millions of followers. Da da da. And my buddy sent me one of this guy's posts a few months ago. It's actually his daily schedule. And uh, he wrote all about his daily schedule, what he does every day. And a couple weeks after this happened, I met this person by happenstance. Just completely randomly. And I didn't know that it was the same person. And then I took a picture with this guy and my buddy saw the picture and he's like, that's the fucking guy who I sent you a schedule. Well, two things. First, I very quickly realized this guy is not following the schedule that he put out publicly on social media. I know for a fact because I started following him and seeing what he was saying at what times and he was not where he said he was at those times. And I know it for a fact. Worse than that, this is crazy. What this guy talks about a lot He's like, he's like a guy for men, men's like men, improve, male improvement, like being a better man, which overall seems great. And a lot of what he says, I actually like, um, one of the things he talks about how is like, you shouldn't be watching porn, which I agree with. Like, I actually think it's fucking up your mental health. It's fucking up your sex mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Erectile dysfunction. Like it's, there's so many issues with it. I'm talking with this guy today, today, a few hours ago. And I'm asking him how business is going, da 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 da. And he's like, good, good, good. Uh, and I was like, so what are you working on? He was like, oh, some new software. And I was like, what's the software? And he's like, well, it's AI. It says AI. I was like, oh, cool. What is it? He's like, it's AI generated pornography. That no. that basically you oh type. It's not real women or men or whatever the fuck you're into. It's just you type in whatever you want to see. And it will generate whatever you want to see. And if you don't, and if you want to change anything about what you're seeing, you say, oh, I'll change this about this image, whatever it is. And it will do it, boom, like that. And then about 90 minutes later, he puts out on social media another thing about how men shouldn't be watching porn. And I'm thinking this guy publicly is telling people don't do this. Well, he's literally- Is creating software to generate not only- more porn, but more porn that will be more addictive and probably even worse wow. for you because you can just like just change. Yeah, it's like literally anything you want. Yeah. Whatever you want. It's like, it's, I was like, That's just like disgusting. Just the thing, yeah. With social media. That's why people, you talk about people being lonely or feeling like less than because you're comparing yourself to this like whole perception that people like put of themselves. It's like it's not even a real human being. It's like not it's not real. even, Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And then the other thing I, I wanted to bring up, we spoke about it earlier about like men with their relationship with their body and with food. I, I want to bring this up because I think um, it gets very often overlooked and it's just an easy way to think about it. A lot of people are like, oh, men like don't really, uh, men don't care about their bodies or like wh- they care about it way more than women do or they less than women do. Um, and I like to put this in perspective because I think it's very, it's an even split. I think it's very much 50-50. And a lot of women get mad at me when I say this, but I want to give like a, just something, a perspective. A lot of times women are are told they should be smaller and leaner. And so what they'll often do is like, they will starve themselves, right? Which is terrible. And they'll overexercise mm-hmm. men. Like what's the ideal image for a man? Like, not big, like, number one, like big Jack, like look at superheroes that are men. Like they're mm-hmm. fucking huge, like super muscular. Look at models that are men. Like, in fact, it's, and that's is actually very interesting. We've seen in recent years uh, through the body positivity movement, women more represented throughout the entirety of female bodies, like women who are not just small. And, and in fact, like they're even hashtag strong, not skinny, which by the way, that's discriminatory in and of itself. Like there are many, like they've gone one way and went the complete other way. And like yeah. now a lot of yeah. women who are skinny feel bad about it. And you've seen women of all shapes and sizes on Cosmopolitan and all these magazines. How many overweight men have you seen? Yeah, on you a- don't. Not one, not one. And there wow. are many reasons for that. But what men will do in order to achieve this ideal body standard in many cases is they'll inject themselves with anabolic steroids, mm-hmm. which by the way, is an illegal substance. So, and by the way, can have, you can do it in a safe way. And I'm, I'm not saying they're always bad, but ideally you would do it under a doctor's supervision. You wouldn't buy it from some schmuck at gold gym and then inject it in your body without like doctor's supervision, right? Like you don't know what you're getting. You don't appear in your body. 
guys die from this all the time. Wow. Guys, guys die from it all the time. They risk going to prison for it. They do go to prison for it because they're having an illegal substance. And it's like they're injecting these hormones into their body in order to get bigger and without any doctor's supervision. So much so are they struggling with their own body image that they're willing to go to those extremes in order to reach a size that is completely unattainable without these mm -hmm. extra drugs. So it's, it's very often overlooked, but mm -hmm. this is my way of saying, like, I think it's a pretty even split in terms of the struggle. Just men yeah. don't talk about it as much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even with like, I've talked to my husband about it too, just that like idea of that and how many guys you see on TRT and you've got TRT testing and replacement centers popped up left and right all over the place. Cause it's, they feel like they have to have that edge to like, look the way that all these other guys look. So yeah, I like that you brought that up. Yeah, it's like so overlooked because you see women struggling with food and talking about their bodies, mm -hmm. but men are literally injecting themselves with illegal yeah. drugs and just to look a certain way or just to it's hit a PR in the gym. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then it was funny, like, do you know who Phil Heath is? Sounds familiar. Phil Heath is is one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time. I made a post about him the other day where I like I I stitched one of his videos with mine. He's one of he he's won Mr. Olympia either seven or eight times. Like it's the wow. the pinnacle of bodybuilding. This guy's fucking huge, like absolutely huge. He went on publicly, and I I respect him so much for this. He was like, I have body dysmorphia. I have for like twenty years, and for the most I've had it the worst in the last two years. So like in the last two years, where this guy is like the biggest he's ever been. Like mm -hmm. this, this guy, he could be. He, like he's the guy that you'd see on magazines for like muscle and fitness, like huge. He's won the best bodybuilding competition in the world at least seven or eight times. And he has body dysmorphia. It's like, it affects everybody. Okay. Everything You don't know, you have no idea what someone is struggling with just by looking at them. You might think that they might love their body and they're super confident based on how you see them, but you don't know how yeah. they see them. That's the thing with body dysmorphia is like, they literally don't see themselves for how they actually look. Yeah. And I think like people look up to bodybuilders and they're like, oh, I want to look like that. I want to be like that. They're so healthy. But like in reality, they're usually the most unhealthy, yeah, unhealthy. like they physically and mentally. A hundred percent. They, if you look at the lifespan of bodybuilders, like they do not live very long at all. And it, and partly because of adding all that extra mass onto your body makes it much harder for your heart to work properly to like just the basic function of pumping blood throughout your body. It makes it far more difficult. And the drugs definitely don't help either. <laughs> like it's a big, big problem. And in the last few years, we've seen some very prominent people in the fitness industry who are well-known physique competitors and bodybuilders die at 20, 25, yeah. 30, 35, 40, 45 years old. Like a lot of them in recent years, it's, it's unbelievably sad and um, it's something that isn't really spoken about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a sport that focuses on the way you look, not feel or what you put into your yeah. body. Correct. Or even it's like, even more than this feel, it's like, that's the sport that is subjectively given points based on how someone else thinks you look. Mm -hmm. Whereas basketball or football yeah, or it's very wrestling objective. or it's, you either got the ball in the hoop or you did not. You either yeah. got the ball in the end zone or you did not. You either lifted that weight or you did not. You either uh, took that person down or you did not, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's objective. It's performance-based. So that I that's why I'm such a huge advocate of performance-based goals. And with performance-based goals, often aesthetics will come. But yeah. when the goal is purely focused around aesthetics, you actually often become uh, more, have more issues around your body. Yeah, yeah, that's something I always tell my clients is focus on your internal health and the external will follow. But if you're following, if you're focusing on your external, like one, you're never going to be happy Two, you're not going to be healthy, mm -hmm. and feel good. So it's never going to last. Yeah. yeah. And that's going back to the schedule. I would say that's one of the reasons why I think just having this is what you have to do. I don't care when it gets done. It's like you either did the post or you didn't. Right. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be done at two could be done whenever you want. Like just, but here's what you got to do and just get it in. You got to get the ball in the hoop. I don't care how the fuck you do it. Just get the ball in the hoop. I don't care how you get the post done. Just get the post done. I think it'll help reduce the stress a lot. Yeah. And I think that goes back to like something that we, you can even tell clients is like you either get 10,000 steps or you don't, you either do this or not. You either win the day or you don't. And then like learn from that and move on. A hundred percent. I love that. Totally. Awesome. Well, that was such a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for staying a few extra minutes. I like wanted no, thank to, you. Yeah. I, 
hopefully that pornography guy doesn't listen to your podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. He won't be able to say anything or then everybody yeah. will know. Okay. So he's, he can't really anyways. <laughs> well, thank you both. I appreciate you taking time to chat. This was fantastic. Yeah, thank awesome. you so much. So nice to meet you. Thank you. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to tune in every Friday. You can also follow us on Instagram. So Maddie's is Maddie underscore Bunker. That's Maddie with one D. And mine is Bay Delory. Make sure to rate and review the show. We're going to be picking one winner to win a free product from Legion Supplements of their choice. Um, And make sure to share it on your Instagrams and tag us for extra entries. All right. Catch y'all next week. Bye.